The fact that the Great Peace has shown up again and again in S.I. is the result of a contentious conspiracy between the magazine's writers and their editors. Writers first, of course. The way magazine journalism is supposed to work is that the best editors match the perfect idea with the ideal writer and wait for a brilliant run of words. This is followed, with plenty of time before deadline, by the simple exercise of hooking paragraphs and helping with the diction here and there. Nothing to it. Right. To say that there are complications is like suggesting that gambling is occasionally connected to sports. There may also be misunderstandings, like the ones that occur when an editor changes the word team to squad. Big and large editing, as Dan Jenkins used to call it. Writers hate that. Frank DeFord says that when he was coming up as a writer, he developed a non-specific dread of editors. What would they do to his copy next? It was not that he hated them exactly, but then again maybe he did. He remarked on the occasion of receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award that during the time he himself was an editor, he couldn't stand Frank DeFord. Arguments over who has or should have the last word whether the magazine is, in fact, a writer's magazine or an editor's magazine, have wailed on since the great André Laguerre stepped down in 1976, after S.I. had emerged under his leadership as a literary force. The truth is, there has always been a tricky balance between editors and writers. Good ones make each other better, perhaps not as human beings, but certainly as journalists, and the work soars. George Plimpton says that he was never happier than when he was on assignment for S.I., except that he was terrified of Laguerre. Writers worked harder just knowing Laguerre was going to read their copy. His standards were so high that he had to be a great editor, Plimpton says. The classic S.I. piece, the so-called bonus, was designed, by Laguerre, to push writers beyond the stats and clichés that fill most newspapers and now loop in numbing rotation on sports television. It wasn't that S.I. didn't care about scores, or that these pieces weren't fundamentally about winning and losing, which they were. But they were also about context, using sport as a prism to view a much wider world of experience and emotion. Some assignments were born at editorial meetings, others in bars. The most eccentric often came from the writers themselves. Thomas McWayne was moved to confess his brief fling with a motorcycle. Finally, we were left alone, just me and my bike. And Jeff McGregor wanted to see firsthand what went on at a rattlesnake roundup, Snakes Alive, both far from mainstream sports writing. Other assignments, such as the third Ali Frazier fight, Laudy, Laudy, He's Great by Mark Cram, were obvious sports stories. But as an SI writer, you didn't just cover the event, or even distill it with analysis. You blew it through as many filters as you could find, both human and cultural. You blew it out. As the years accelerated and sports and life became more complicated, certain SI writers began to adopt the techniques of fiction. Read DeFord and later Gary Smith to see how narrative and scene became more and more important. Likewise, dialogue, and even informed speculation about what was going on inside a subject's head. Everything fit, or almost everything, within the third-person, keep-it-hopping style that Roy Blunt Jr. described as good-for-my-chops.